From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast with Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory and Andrew Dunkley. G'day, Fred. Hi, Andrew. How are you going? Uh, extremely yeah, well. Uh, and you? I'm extremely well, too. So we're clearly um, in an extreme situation at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, space and astronomy, extreme environments. Yeah. Now, today we're uh, we're talking about a, a thing that's uh, sort of been capturing the imagination, uh, uh, particularly in the media in recent weeks, and will continue to do so as, as we build up to this, uh, this mission, which uh, seems to be earmarked for next year, uh, of, a, of a trip to the moon. But what's fascinating about this one is it's a private company. Yeah. They had to get permission to do so, but um, they're going. We're also going to look at uh, where Australia is. Now, last week we talked about why we are here and that uh, asteroid that's going to kill us all in a couple of hundred years. But um, at this very moment, uh, Australia has a problem because we're not where we think we are and it all comes down to um, the fact that the, the continent is moving and we've never bothered to fix the GPS coordinates, which explains why my golf GPS is always so far out and I can never hit the green. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. We'll get to that later, but uh, first up, Fred... Uh, a company uh, in Florida has been given uh, approval to go to the moon. This is uh, this is quite a, a staggering um, achievement and uh, a little bit of a surprise, I would think. Uh, yes, I think it is. Um, the, this story's um, sort of been on our horizon for a couple of months because uh, it was highlighted uh, actually about maybe two or three months ago that the reason, if, if you have a, a company that wants to explore the moon in a private capacity, uh, that there wasn't really a framework within the USA, a legal framework within which that could be done. Um, the, the space law is very complex. It's, uh, it's rooted in the space law that was uh, set up back in 1967, I think, the uh, Outer Space Treaty, was uh, was signed and sealed, uh, which basically says space belongs to no one and um, that the objects in space don't belong to anybody. And so, of course, that immediately um, puts uh, a, a different complexion on anybody who's planning to mine the moon or mine asteroids, although it has to be said that those plans are also going ahead. There are companies, certainly there's two companies which are seriously considering mining asteroids, and there are certainly moves afoot to try and uh, bring resources back from the moon. It's we're a long way from that at the moment. The technology is still a long way from it. But I thought we had enough bauxite here. Yeah, already. that's right. Yeah. The 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 um, reason why we're talking about this now, though, is that the U.S. Um, Federal Aviation Administration, uh, their Office of Commercial Space Transport. Trans- 
transportation, commercial space transportation, <laughs> I can say it, um, th that department has now essentially given the go-ahead for, um, for a mission, a two-week mission that has been proposed by a company called Moon Express, uh, based in the USA. So th they've basically decided that the regulations are sufficiently good already that they don't need to rewrite space law in order to allow a private company uh, to go to the moon. Bearing in mind, uh, Andrew, that these these regulations were put together when basically there were just two superpowers who were exploring space. Nobody ever dreamed of the idea of, well, science fiction buffs did, but most people didn't dream of the idea of you know, commercial exploitation of space in the way that we now see it. Yes. So um, they've got the go-ahead. The plan is late next year, late in 2017, uh, to send something that's the size of a suitcase um, to land on the moon. Uh, it will be carried there by um, a company, a rocket made by a company called Rocket Lab. They, they are a fairly new company uh, and have not yet launched any commercial missions. So this is all you know, relatively speculative, but there is money going into this mission. And the idea is to send a few science experiments and a little bit of commercial cargo on this trip to the, the moon surface. It won't come back. It will be, it will simply land there. The co-founder of Moon Express is a man called Bob Richards. Uh, and he he's uh, said, uh, his words are, the Moon Express 2017 mission approval is a landmark decision by the U.S. government and a pathfinder for private sector commercial missions beyond Earth's orbit, which is, you know, basically puts the the, the thing into a nutshell. Um, of course, commercial missions in in Earth orbit are commonplace. We 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 rely on those spacecraft to, to carry our communications, uh, to you know, to do our navigation, our surveillance, all those things. Uh, are done by commercial uh, entities. Um, but the exploration of the moon going beyond the Earth's orbit is the new part of it. So um, what will this spacecraft do? It will essentially uh, land on the moon, um, take samples of the lunar soil. There'll be some rudimentary analysis. It, it's got um, a slight commercial bent to it in that it will also be carrying to the moon the cremated remains of some human beings. Yeah, this is the part that really blows my mind. I mean, what? Yes. Well, well there is a company. Um, I'm not sure whether it's the same company, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. There's a company called Celestis, which for some time, in fact, more than a decade, has been buying, uh, buying space uh, on a small amount of space on commercial uh, low-orbit flights, uh, low-Earth orbit flights. They've been buying... Um, those spaces to put the cremated remains of people who uh, whose loved ones want them to be preserved forever in space. Um, so Celestis actually markets uh, this idea of sending your loved ones cremated remains into space. And I know uh, several years ago they were talking about uh, sending uh, remains to the moon. If I remember rightly, and this probably is um, about two, circa 2006 prices, uh, the cost was going to be ten thousand dollars per creme capsule uh, to send your to send your de dear departed cremated remains to the moon. Um, I'd rather stay on Earth myself, but it sounds to me like a lot of mother-in-laws are going to be making this trip. Uh, maybe, 
maybe. I won't comment on that. But, um, anyway, so that's one commercial aspect of it. But yes, it's um, it, it's a it's a great uh, mission. There is actually another undertone to this, and you might remember um, back in the early two thousands, there was something called the X Prize, which was yes. a prize that was being awarded uh, to the first commercial company to send a human up to a height of a hundred kilometers, bring them back successfully, and do it again within two weeks. That was mm. uh, that prize was won by Bert Rutan's company, um, Scale Composites. They are building the uh, space planes for, for Virgin Galactic now. So that, that prize was won by them. I mean, it was $10 million, I think, but, yeah. but nowhere near enough to cover the costs of development, but it obviously helps. Uh, but the point is there, there is another X Prize. It's called the Lunar X Prize, set up in 2007, uh, and it's funded by Google for the first commercial group to land a probe on the moon. So um, that is obviously something that Moon Express have got their eye on as well, because if they successfully do it, uh, they will probably win the Google, the uh, Lunar X Prize. And they'll only make a staggering financial loss instead of a, mega, <laughs> yeah, a right. megaton financial exactly. loss. Exactly. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Actually, when you talk about these kinds of prizes, just as a sideline, uh, this is not new. I, th I think uh, when we were starting to try and develop flight, just basic flight here on Earth, that that kind of concept was used. Uh, exactly, that's right. It's, um, you know, wealthy people wanting to kickstart a technology. It's a great way to do that as well. Mm, yeah, um, cloud funding in real terms. Yes. Uh, now, um, just what what do you think will happen to this mission? Do you think they'll they'll be successful? It's, um, it, it's uncharted territory in real um, terms. I think they will, and... The reason for that, Andrew, is that um, there is now, um, you know, the kind of engineering that you need to do to make successful space missions is uh, it's almost like building a Lego kit because there's so many uh, companies now that have produced the fundamental, you know, bits and pieces for a spacecraft. And really what you're doing is assembling all this together and making it all work. Um, there, there, there's um, uh, already uh, the missions which go, are going into Earth orbit uh, to launch what are called nano satellites. Nano. These mm. are these things. They're they're only ten centimeters uh, square. In fact, they're cubes. And usually, you put two together to make something uh, that's uh, twenty centimeters long and, and has a square cross section. And they use um, bits and pieces that are commercially made. Specifically for spaceflight. So, um, if uh, Moon Express is building their lander out of these sorts of space-proven components without having to do all that themselves, then um, I think they've got a good chance of success. Well, we'll watch with interest because um, it, it, at the very beginning we were talking about uh, space law and uh, how nobody owns space or any objects in it. But uh, that particular issue was well. Um, described or documented in in the movie The Martian, which you and I have reviewed, yes. where where the, um, the the main character of the show had to actually hijack a NASA spaceship on Mars to get back into orbit to be rescued. Uh, no one actually gave him permission, so he was essentially under maritime law, which exists in space, yes. a pirate. Yeah, piracy That's, is uh, worldwide and, and yeah, universal. And, and beyond, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, 
You're listening to Space Nuts with Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. Roger, your lives are here also. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, uh, everybody knows where Australia is. It's down under. Um, it is in the Southern Hemisphere. It is the great Southern land. It is all of these things. But it does appear we do have a slight problem. We're not exactly where we think we are, and that's messing up GPS satellites and coordinates. Um, not a good situation when you're starting to talk about um, cars that can be driven by GPS technology or guided by. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So a really interesting story. Um, I mean, it's um, it's connected with space because, of course, the uh, it's the GPS system that we're talking about, which relies on on, on spacecraft. But it's also uh, throws up some really interesting insights into the into the Earth, uh, the Earth's um, uh, activities and particularly where it comes to Australia. Uh, the bottom line is that the local geographic coordinates that we use um, here in Australia do not align exactly with the coordinates from global navigation satellite systems. In other words, typically GPS. There are more now, of course, this Galileo. Mm. But uh, what it means is that... Um, you know that the local coordinates and the ones that we use in everyday life here in Australia, and the global ones, the ones that relate us to everywhere else in the world, they're wrong. <laughs> they differ by well over a meter, actually. And the um, the issue uh, is, as you said, that one day we will have GPS-driven cars, cars that are driverless, and will be uh, running around the streets of. Uh, Australia and the roads of Australia, uh, and if the geographic coordinates and the uh, the cars coordinates don't match up, well, you can just imagine the chaos. Well, one meter doesn't sound like much, but in real terms, one meter a one meter error in a GPS coordinate when you're trying to guide a vehicle yeah. is going to it, it's that it would be catastrophic. That's right. In fact, the error at the moment is about one and a half metres. By the time... Well, it's, that's even by worse. The time, by the time we have driverless cars, it's probably up to two, or, two, or, two and a half or something like that if we don't do something about this. Mm. Okay. So um, aside from the fact that my GPS is out by six metres on the sixth hole at my <laughs> local golf course, and I always miss that green, uh, what can we do about well, it? Well, the first thing is, why has this arisen? Because back in 1994... Uh, what's called the geocentric datum of Australia, which is the basis of this uh, local coordinate system. That was aligned with the global coordinate system back in 1994. Um, so why has it changed? Well, it's changed because we we in Australia are whizzing along uh, with continental drift. Uh, we're heading northwards at a speed of seven centimetres per year, uh, towards Indonesia, in fact, and that is a, an unstoppable part of the Earth's natural, you know, the Earth's natural movement. So every mm. every year we get seven centimeters closer to the equator. So since 1994, that seven centimeters a year has built up, and we now have this one and a half kilometer error. Uh, what's going to be done about it is uh, the two stages actually. The <clears throat> the idea that the, the you know, sort of geoscientists Australia and the the other uh, organisations that are responsible for this. Um, will, what they will do is make a shift in our local coordinates um, on the 1st of January next year. So 1st of January 2017, the local coordinate system will be moved northwards, actually by a little bit more 
than the 1.7 meters that we know are out. They're going to move it northwards by 1.8 meters. That gives them a year's leeway. Uh, more or less, that's right. A little bit more than a year's leeway. So what what it means is that, that what they've done is essentially overcorrected. <clears throat> so we'll now be a little bit further north than we're supposed to be, rather than being a lot further south than we're supposed to be. So I'm trying to figure out if that means I'm going to hit it long or short now. <laughs> Look, it could help. It could help. That The overcorrection uh, is to give people time, because what it means is that by 2020, <clears throat> the alignment will be perfect. By 2020, the global system and the Australian geographic system will be exactly coordinated. Um, so that's giving us essentially three years to try and work out what to do. If you make this change in 2017, and then and then by 2020, you've got perfect align, alignment. It sets the scene for us being able to say, okay, we will uh, modify the uh, Australian geographic system so that we include a seven centimetre per year northward drift or something of that sort. So it's um, in that regard, it's a, it's a good idea. I think it means... That eventually we will uh, we will have a system that uh, will take these uh, changes over time into account, and and this uh, won't arise again. Uh, just going back to the driverless cars, Andrew, we already have um, on the farms of Australia tractors that don't have a driver. That's right. They're yeah. relying um, on this stuff already. So it's the future is not very far away. Mm, and and harvesters, all sorts of, and we're talking mega equipment. We're not talking small vehicles. Right. We're talking massive machines yeah. that operate automatically. Uh, the people operating them basically sit there and play video games or listen to podcasts. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's where it's got to. Yeah, and, and I live in a part of the world where that is actually quite common. Yeah, indeed. Mm. All right. Uh, so we're not where we think we are, but we're going to be in a couple of years' yeah, time. That's and. Right. <laughs> Do we know why this happened? Was it a simple case of, look, we didn't really need to worry about it till now? I think that's right. I think it's, um, you know, it was good in 1994. It's one of these things that probably has concerned uh, uh, Geoscience Australia. And um, uh, and it, it's not been that easy to, to really think about how you deal with it. So uh, I think it's it's a little bit like the, the leap seconds that we have to introduce, you know, for, for the fact that the Earth's rotation rate is, is slowing. So all these things eventually catch up with you and you've got to do something about it. Yeah, I've always had trouble adjusting my watch with that leap yes, second. Right. right royal pain, that is. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, of course, is I'm just trying to calculate in my head, seven seconds drift north per year. I'm just waiting to see how long before I can sell my house as a property in a tropical paradise. <laughs> you might I think a, it might be a while. A fairly long way. Right. <laughs> yes, indeed. Fred, always nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. Great pleasure, Andrew. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thank you for listening to Space Nuts again this week. Don't forget to stay in touch. We love to hear from you on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, well, wherever else. Passing us in the street. I know that happens actually from time to time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we will be back again next week with another edition of Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell. 
and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.